Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. For today, I want to be able to introduce you to Pam. This is part one of a two-part conversation with her. And believe me, with her story, it could have been seven, eight, twelve, forty-seven episodes. So I don't know actually how she condensed it down to two episodes. I applaud you, Pam. Pam is one of these people where after you hear her story, you think, how is she still so nice? Because she has been through the ringer. She really wanted to be able to talk to you about her experiences. It is a story that is difficult, very gritty and harsh and does have kind of an upswing, a happier ending to it. And that is always a really good thing. But so much of what made it a happier ending is her grit and perseverance and a will to live. And I think also a community around her that cared, which makes all the difference. So here is Pam's bio, her intro. She writes, Narconon, fueled or fooled. In the late 1970s, while Pam was in college, she got involved with Scientology doing many courses and counseling with them. She stayed in Scientology a long time, but around 2001, Pam was in a terrible accident where she broke her neck, throwing her into the medical world of surgeries, medicines, doctors, etc. During her recovery, Pam wanted off the medicines, so she got involved with Scientology's form of drug rehab called Narconon. Actually, if you want to refer back to previous episodes with Lucas Catton, you'll also hear about Narconon. Not knowing what to expect, she first went to their facility in the Los Angeles area, which turned out to be a three-month nightmare, as she puts it. So they flew her to Montreal, Canada, to a sister Narconon for many months. Pam desperately hoped they would keep their promises to her to help her, but this didn't happen. These unbelievable experiences badly affected both her mental and physical health. And at one point, she was down to 84 pounds. Yep, you heard it right, 84 pounds, often having continuous seizures with no one qualified to watch over her finding herself staying alone eventually in an old Canadian farmhouse for months with little food, medical care, or even a phone. She felt like a prisoner, jailed in a foreign country, not knowing anyone or even able to speak the language. What could she do? This is her grueling story about how it all happened. Narconon's lack of any help whatsoever and how she managed to escape back to her parents in the United States, where her years of recovery began. Here's the beginning of Pam's story. I 
I am very excited to have a very special guest on today, a woman who I am kind of meeting for the first time, and I am very happy about it. Pam, you contacted me and told me a little bit about your story and that it would be important to share it. And I wholeheartedly agreed because I think it's something that people do really need to know about and understand. And I want you to be able to introduce yourself, talk about what you're doing now and a little bit about yourself. And then we'll start by really starting at the beginning. Okay. My name is Pam and I want to say that this is probably one of the maybe the fourth time I've actually spoken out loud about this situation. And I've written about it a couple times to several people who I know who you have also interviewed, but it's a very difficult situation. So I'm looking at this in a therapeutic mode also. So um, if I may, I will start from the beginning. I was about 23 years old, and I had just graduated from college with a degree in theater and education. And I was living with my roommate, and uh, we decided to go out for pizza just on the spur of the moment. And so we did. And there was a gentleman playing a pipe organ, which I had never heard. And he invited me up to sing with him. And so I did. And we went out to coffee and he was very nice. And one of the first things he asked me was if I had ever heard of Scientology. And I actually had never heard of it. I had no clue. I was raised very Jewish. And he was so joyful and so up and enthusiastic that I enjoyed his company. And so he invited me to come to what he called a meeting that would tell me a little bit more about it. And I had met the people he was living with, and they were also very enthusiastic and very happy. I enjoy people like that. And so I thought, well, if this is having anything to do with that, then it maybe it'll be interesting to go to a meeting. So I did. I found it both interesting and strange. They asked you to do certain things, to close your eyes and think of a cat, and then open your eyes and think of the same cat, which I did. At the time, I didn't understand what was going on, but what they were trying to do was to help us understand what memory is and how memories can be both good and bad. And of course, they, they weren't going to bring up bad memories. They, you're just thinking of a cat, which is fine. And some, and some other um, good memories. And, you know, looking back, I, I didn't connect anything. All I wanted was some friends, <laughs> truthfully, some happy people to be around. And the whole place was, see at the time, this was like 19, it was like 40 years ago. And things were different back then. L. Ron Hubbard was still alive for one. There was no David Miscavige. And the people were, were so 
good to be around. And that's what really I was looking for. And I didn't see any connection to religion as I was being around these people. It was never brought up. It was, it, they were just really good people to be around. And all they would say is the reason we're like this is because of what we have learned by taking Scientology courses, et cetera. So they told me about one specific course, which actually at the time sounded really interesting. Here again, really interesting. And it was called at the time, the communications course. And it was cheap and it wasn't long. And I was getting to know this gentleman a lot in, in more depth. And so I and he said he could even take it again with me. So I decided to take it. And I had no clue what I was getting myself into. If I had, it would, this would be a whole different story. But it's just not like that. That's not how people are, are gotten in. And especially way back then, it was a whole different ballgame. So I, I took this class. And I loved it. I, I mean, I, I know there's a, a lot of bad things written about Scientology now, but that one class I loved. I still actually, out of habit, use some of the things that I, I learned. I didn't connect religion or any of the bad things with that one course at all, at all. And so I thought, well, okay, I liked this course. Um, what's next? It, they had me just very, very sucked in and curious. As I said, I enjoyed the people so much and they would call me in to practice with other people. And so that meant I got to know more people. And all of a sudden I had a whole group of friends. So the more I was around them, the more I felt like they were my family. And I'm telling this looking back at it. And, you know, th these people could never harm me. They're such great people. And so they had someone called a registrar, who is a person who registers you for courses and pretty much talks you into these courses and taking them. And so she... I guess with my permission, talked me into getting something called auditing, which is Scientology's form of religious or pastoral counseling. And it actually was interesting. It wasn't hard. It wasn't weird. It was very introductory. That's what it actually was. It was introductory. So it wasn't expensive. And I thought, well, gee, huh, I wonder what's next. And, and this is what happens. I um, have a, a good colleague or colleagues who I work with a lot, Patrick Ryan and Joseph Kelly, and they do some interventions and they talk about yes steps. You get introduced to something that feels good, that has some practical application, that isn't too much of a strain. You don't have to use up too much time or resources on it. 
and you say yes to that, you reap some benefit from it. And then it gets sort of like the volume gets turned up and then you do more yes steps, like little steps, little steps, little steps. And before you know it, we're going to talk about where this all led to. I'm curious if you can just before, I don't want you to lose your train of thought and the chronology because the chronology is so important, but just to describe to people when you said that auditing and it wasn't weird. So what was it when you were just doing this sort of beginner's auditing? What was it like? What were some of the questions like? Just so people have a sense of what happened in that room. Well, you have something called uh, an E-meter, which stands for, uh, oh gosh, been so long electronic meter and that is hooked up to two cans that you metal cans that you were holding that actually technically is supposed to show the per the auditor the person who is listening and asking you questions it's supposed to show any trouble or upset or areas in your life that have harmed you in any way. And then they will repeat the question with additional parts to it. Like what were, what were you smelling at the time? What were you hearing at the time? What were you seeing at the time? Uh, what were you hearing at the time? The idea is to get a full concept of the whole experience and you go over it and over it and over it until it's not affecting you anymore. And there is a special way on the e-meter, which is not a lie detector in my viewpoint. I know it's been called that a lot. In my viewpoint, it, it's, not, it's not a lie detector. And, and once it reaches a certain position that there is a needle that will drop, and once it does, technically, you are supposed to feel better. And it has released what they call charge. And that is the negative feelings that were affecting you. And sometimes you don't even know that they're affecting you. And they stayed pretty light. In the introductory session, they stayed pretty light. And it worked. I mean, it it actually worked. And since we're talking about in this conversation, I will be getting to um, my experience with Narconon. I need to say that I have, in my mind, I have separated Scientology from Narconon. So I have had both good and bad experiences with Scientology. And the good I have kept and the bad I have absolutely thrown away. Whereas mm -hmm. with Narconon, there was so much bad that we'll get to that it's been very, very difficult for me to get past it. Right now, when I'm talking about Scientology, it sounds like, oh, this is great. This is great. Well, the first part was, I'm talking about it was because I ended up marrying the gentleman. We did more courses together. We did more auditing and I became involved with, wow, for like 30 years. I, I was down 
in Los Angeles in one of their main headquarters called Celebrity Center. And it was quite beautiful there. And I would go quite often and get more auditing. And then it was starting to get really expensive, really expensive. And I didn't feel that I was getting oh, as much gain from it. And I would tell my auditor, the person who was like a counselor, this, and it was often put back on to me, like, what am I doing so that this is occurring so that I'm not getting the gains that I'm supposed to be getting. They have a bunch of ways they run things and questions that they ask to try and find that out. I'm trying to to not use so much Scientology terminology that it will, will confuse everyone. The language will throw everyone off. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a huge dictionary of all their language. Yes, I know. I have it in my office. It's gigantic and heavy. Someone gave me their old one. They were getting rid of everything to purge. They were purging. And uh, I said, yes, please, because they handed it to me. I just wanted to see how intense it was. And if anyone has a chance to see this, this dictionary, it is amazing how many terms, how many acronyms, how many everything. Yeah. And you know, that will never get out of my head. When you're involved with something for so long, it just is, I mean, I I don't feel like that harms me, but it's just stuck in my head. When we're talking about you then first starting and then you were at Celebrity Center, do you remember how much it was to do this initial auditing? And when you're saying it got much more expensive, what it went to? Well, I remember the communications course was only about $20. It's nothing what it is now. At the time, it was probably, well, they they charged per hour of time used. And I could be wrong. It was probably maybe two, three hundred dollars an hour. Um, and you would buy them in blocks of 12. I do remember that. You buy them in blocks of 12. And my husband and I actually were not getting along very well. And so we would use Scientology. They have their own form of marriage counseling. And once you're getting marriage counseling, you don't, you're not allowed to get any auditing because when you have a problem in Scientology, you need to fix it in one way or another. And it was difficult because there was a, we had moved up to Seattle at that time and he didn't really want, I guess he was smarter than I was at the time. He didn't really want to do Scientology anymore. I still did. I was still, I want to say hooked, but at the time I would never have used that word. I was still hooked into it. Because there were a lot of other courses that I wanted to take that I thought sounded very interesting besides auditing. So what actually happened was that I managed to get him back in and we did some other courses. So we're getting counseling 
And I actually wasn't being totally honest with the counselor because I, I was going through physical abuse at the time. And I probably should have said something. And so it just kept on going. And the counseling wasn't helping, probably because they were aiming at the wrong thing. I mean, by marriage counseling. And so some issues occurred, pretty bad issues occurred uh, away from Scientology. And I decided to get a divorce, which was a wonderful thing for me because it meant that I was free and it was just a, a very smart choice. I broke the rules and I went to a regular psychologist. I knew I was breaking the rules, but she was referred to me and because in Scientology, you are not to have anything to do with psychology, psychologists or uh, any of that sort. But I did, and she was extremely helpful. My goodness, she was wonderful. And so as a result of that, I, I did get a divorce and everything was fine. I did things my own way in Scientology. I didn't follow all of the rules, even though I didn't really break any either. Uh, to give you an example, I wanted a good chunk of auditing so I could deal with my divorce. So mm -hmm. instead of doing it at the organization in Seattle, legally, and I mean legally in Scientology legally, I hired what they call a field auditor, which is an auditor with a lot of experience who will come to your home and you get to choose who you want because normally you don't always get to choose. And so I did, a good friend of mine actually. And so I had most of my auditing done in my kitchen and it was very relaxed. It was very laid back. I had hours and hours and hours and hours. And I, I do remember it was around $11,000 worth. And I would say, yes, it did help at the time. It actually helped. So, but see, I, like I said, I was doing things my way. I was not going to all of these events that you now, now are required to go to. Ron Hubbard hadn't died yet. It was so different back then. If I were speaking of how things are now, it would be a whole different story, especially with David Miscavige running things. So I went through that. It went well until I had a really bad accident. And I was engaged to a Scientologist who lived in Los Angeles and we were going back and forth, back and forth. And he uh, was strong and he was a wrestler and we were just playing around and he accidentally fell on top of me and broke my neck. Mm. Seriously. I was in serious pain. I didn't know what was wrong and that I was not having any feeling. And so I finally went to a doctor 
who said, well, I've got some bad news for you. He said, you're not leaving. He said, you're going across the street to the hospital. And that is where you are staying. And you will be uh, having some surgeries. And I mean, he must have said it nicer than that. But what happened was for about a year, they put me on a lot of drugs, medicines, I should say. And that's not really okay with Scientology. I can't think of the name of it, but they have a person who you can go to who, when you're on medicine and she approves it, this sounds so crazy, she approves it or not. But I was in one of those uh, round metal devices where you can't move your neck for about five months. It was awful because I had no one to help me and I couldn't afford to hire anyone to help me. So my fiance at the time came up from Los Angeles a couple times and that was about it. The medicines were making me so sick, so very, very sick. I was allergic to most of them I know now. And they, they had a feeding tube in me and I was trying to do this all by myself. And I had a conversation with him one night because I still considered myself as a Scientologist. And I told him, I don't know why I said it, but I said, I feel like I just want to die. These medicines are making me so sick. Well, that was really the wrong thing to say because what happened was he wrote up what's called a knowledge report or a, a KR report on me because of those words that I said, I felt like I just wanted to kill myself. The engagement was over after that. He's the one who caused your injury. Yes. And he only came to visit you a couple times. Yes, because he was on his higher levels of auditing. There's different levels and he he had to stay on those. Right. Which says so much about the prioritization of things because he needed to stay on that. And I think if you're involved in a healthy group or even working for a company where you say, you know, my fiance broke her neck or I broke, <laughs> broke her neck, but I'll be at the board meeting tomorrow night. The company would say, no, you won't. <laughs> you are going to be home, you, we need to go to HR, get you however many vacation days or sick days, whatever, right? But no, the priority was to the group. And I just can't imagine you being on medication that's making you feel worse and you're isolated and having to deal with this all on your own. Of course, you're going to be feeling the way you're feeling. And isolated is really a very good word because I'm on a couple hundred acres in the middle of nowhere on county land where I live. There's no one around me. And so I didn't know this at the time. I didn't find this out for a long time. There, there was this knowledge report written about me. He just left my life. And, you know, I was so, I was so sick and I was in such pain that that became more important than finding out where's my fiance because I was in a I was in a I was in bad shape so my parents came to live with me bless their heart and 
they were retired. Actually, more my mom came first and she stayed with me because I owned a preschool for 22 years. That's what I did. I was a preschool teacher, actually director. My business was just going down the tubes. And my mom and dad were both business people. And so they helped me to hire someone and who was good and, and take care of the school. I went back to the psychologist that I had seen because I just didn't know what to do. And by this time, I don't know what they call that, but the metal thing that holds your head straight was taken off, but the medicines were left on. And I swear I was on probably eight or nine different medicines. And they were, I remember losing day, whole days, losing time. And I wanted off. I wasn't taking any more than I was supposed to. Actually, I just wanted off. And so I knew of a program called Narconon, which was actually run by Scientologists. And my counselor said, well, if it's within her religion that she validated it and said that she, she gave her blessing pretty much to go to it. And of course, my mom and dad didn't really know what to do because I tried a regular rehab at a hospital and they give you one week and that was it. You know, when you're on illegal drugs, that may work. But for medicinal drugs, one week does not work at all. So I really, really, really thought about it. And even though the surgery was healing, I couldn't get off these drugs. So I thought, okay, I will call Narconon and see what they have available for me. And this is actually where oh, the story gets hard to talk about. Uh, they had never had a Scientologist at their facility in uh, Newport Beach. And there were several facilities um, in the United States, a lot more than there are now. Now they're just closing down right and left. But back then they were pretty popular. And so I, because I was a Scientologist, they would give me 50% off. And that was, I mean, that was amazing. And, and I remember that was like $13,000 because it's, they said it would be a three month program that, uh, oh, they said so many things, wonderful things. It was at the beach. I would be able to go in, into the water, just things that made it sound really good and that it was the right place for me. And I knew that it was a, what I call like a subgroup of Scientology. So I felt that it, even though with everything that had happened to me before, I'm still thinking like a Scientologist at the time. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go. So I hired my manager back to take care of my school. And I went to down to Newport Beach. And that's probably the biggest mistake I have ever made in my life. But knowing that now, it was, it, it was horrible. First of all, nothing that I was told came true. 
I had to go to legally, they, and I mean, legal, legally, they had to put me into a hospital for five days. And the doctor there said, please don't go to Narcanon. The kind of medicines that you're on take more than the time that they're denoting for you to get off of, because most of the people there were on illegal drugs. I don't think they knew anything about trying to get someone off of medicinal medicine. Because after I did my five days at the hospital and the doctor there was so nice, he gave me his, his home phone number in case anything went wrong. He tried to talk the Scientologists who came to get me out of it and they just would not listen to what he had to say. He had had experience with them before and he knew that their way was to cold turkey you off. And people have different reactions to that. I had been on some medicine since I was little for my heart and they were gonna cold turkey me off that too. That he knew was dangerous. And he he kept warning me and warning me. And I was like, oh no, it's not, they're not gonna do anything bad. They know exactly what they're doing. They have to. I just kept telling myself that and trying to talk myself into believing it. When I got there, they put me into a room, which is their standard operating procedure. And usually it's only for a week. And that's the week where they take you off of the medicine to detox, whatever you're on, legal or illegal drugs. And then you're supposed to start the program that lasts for three months, which is really very similar to things I had already done uh, when I first started as a Scientologist. And so what occurred was they, they took my medicine from me. I mean, like out of my hands, even my heart medicine. And they said, we are in charge. I remember this. We are in charge of this now. We will give it to you when we think you need it. And I was like, oh no, I know what happens when I don't take this heart medicine. I get tachycardia. And I don't want to feel that. And I didn't know what was going to happen by being cold turkey. One more thing before you go. Wow. Just wow. I am so glad that you are starting to hear some of Pam's story. You won't believe where it goes. So be sure to tune in next week. Oh, my goodness. Spoiler alert. But to reassure you, it does have a happy ending but it gets rough before then. And if you thought this was rough, hmm, just wait. So I want you to know that it takes a lot of bravery for Pam to speak at all. It's been a long time in coming. And even when she reached out to me, you know, when you can tell that someone's saying, I want to do this, but I'm not sure I want to do this, but I think I want to do this, but I don't know if I'm ready to do this. 
that I'm thinking it would be good for me, but I'm also terrified. So let's get started. And maybe I'll need to cancel, but maybe I won't. It was that kind of feeling. And I understood. So I'm so glad that she went through with it. It is so hard when just by telling your story, you have to worry about opening yourself up to harassment. It is like the countless people throughout our history and in modern times now where something awful has happened to them, but in them telling the story, they have to worry about being torn to shreds by the public or by the people themselves who did this to them. People coming forward, the whole Me Too movement, people who are wanting to finally say what's happening to them, African-Americans, etc. everybody who has a story to tell, many stories to tell, and who are then worried about telling them. But with Scientology, it's very real that you do at times need to be worried about telling your story. I mean, if I can get harassed by them continuously, I can only imagine how people who really have been there who have seen things from behind the scenes, who can say, this really happened to me. Mm, imagine what a threat that is to them. And they're not happy about it. And that's why all the more reason I applaud people for coming forward. It was very hard for many years when I was not allowed to say the name Scientology when I was giving talks about cultic groups. I was told by attorneys, by their attorneys, that I could talk about cults, but I could never mention the name Scientology. So I would talk all around it, but here I was speaking at college campuses, high schools, and there would be Scientologists in the audience just waiting for me to say, the term Scientology, so that I could be sued for defamation or somehow liable. And I felt terrible not being able to really inform people about what to watch out for and what group to watch out for. I wanted to not only say Scientology, but I wanted to mention all the front names that they have. They have so many front organizations that are connected to them that sometimes people don't know they're getting involved in something that is connected to Scientology, namely Narconon. And so I knew that I was being kept silent until I wasn't anymore, when I was allowed to say it. And I know through having this podcast, they have attacked me on social media complaining to my board about me. They've done whatever they can. They've tried to lower my rating on my professional page, my professional Facebook page as a therapist. I mean, they do whatever they can. And they have this policy called fair game policy, which they say they don't have because that's part of the gaslighting, but they have it and you can look it up online where they see it as their job to ruin people, actually the word ruin is used as part of it, who they see as enemies. And I'm not against 
Scientology. I'm just trying to help the people who have been in it and try to warn people about what can happen. And that's my right. And especially Pam's right for talking about what really happened to her. When you're kept quiet, you can't do what you really want to do. You can't really follow your conscience. And you can work so hard to try to protect people. And then sometimes you are silenced. And I not only think about people like Pam or people like me, but I think about the story she told about this doctor. When she went into this five-day hospitalization before going to Narconon, and the doctor said to her not to go. And the doctor gave her his home phone number so that she could call when she had a problem. And he tried to talk the Scientologist out of taking her, the Scientologist who came to take her from this program to take her to Narconon. And that Scientologist ignored the doctor. He knew that he couldn't keep her from going. He could just do as much as he could. But he really tried. And that is what we can do. We can really try. We can do as much as we can. So I encourage all of you that when you start to hear reports about bad things happening to people within certain groups or certain environments, do what you can. Get involved in doing education. Reach out to someone and say, hey, I hear that you are going to be going to such and such. Let me tell you a little bit about my concern. And I think it's also a hard situation to be in because you might be rejected for it. You might be criticized for it. And in some situations, you might be sued for it. But I think if we don't try to get the word out there, if we don't try to be able to kind of be that voice of reason or be that voice of warning, then not only are we dropping the ball in terms of our humanity, but we also need to live with that ourselves. We need to kind of look in the mirror and wonder who we are and why we're not saying what we know and why we're not saying what we really think someone else needs to hear. So as hard as it is, I know that the people who come onto the show to tell their story, some are really ready and able, and some have groups that are less litigious but the ones where they know they're going to be followed and they're going to be harassed and they come to talk anyway, they deserve so much credit and so many applause. And really what they're saying is, I can't care about that anymore, or at least not more than being able to finally say, not only does this happen and it happened to me, but it's something I want you to know about so it never happens to you. And what a gift that is. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon. 
at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrination podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.